If you have your Bible with you this morning, could you turn with me please to Luke chapter 1. We're reading two sections from Luke's Gospel, the first four verses, known as Luke's Prologue, and then we'll jump over to verse 26. Over these Sundays together during Advent, we have embarked on a new series of studies entitled, And the Soul Felt Its Worth. And we begin this morning, Luke chapter 1, verse 1. Many have undertaken to draw up an account of the things that have been fulfilled among us, just as they were handed down to us by those who from the first were eyewitnesses and servants of the word. Therefore, since I myself have carefully investigated everything from the beginning, it seemed good also to me to write an orderly account for you, most excellent Theophilus, so that you may know the certainty of the things that have been taught. And over to verse 26. In the sixth month, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a town in Galilee, to a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David. The virgin's name was Mary. The angel went to her and said, Greetings, you who are highly favoured. The Lord is with you. Mary was greatly troubled at his words and wondered what kind of greeting this might be. But the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary. You have found favor with God. You will be with child and will give birth to a son and you are to give him the name Jesus. And he will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David. And he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and his kingdom will never end. How will this be, Mary asked the angel, since I am a virgin? And the angel answered, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. Even Elizabeth, your relative, is going to have a child in her old age, and she who was said to be barren is in her sixth month, for nothing is impossible with God. I am the Lord's servant, Mary answered. May it be to me as you have said. Then the angel left her. Amen, and we trust that God will bless to us this reading from his holy word. Most of us remember songs from our childhood years or our teenage years. And in many ways, those songs that become so popular, everyone knows them, they become the soundtrack to our lives. I wanted this morning to try and demonstrate what I'm talking about. So if I begin with a few lines or a few words from the lines of a song, I expect you to respond with the rest of the song. Are you ready? Here it comes, choir. You may have to help the congregation out here because this can be a little tricky. Do a deer, a female deer, a drop of golden, me a name I far. Now let's stop there because I don't want to get you too excited. Why are those Presbyterians were beginning to enjoy themselves? And we don't want that. This is church. You're not here to enjoy yourself. Second song. Supercalifragilisticexpialidocious, even though the... It's something... 
If you say it loud enough, it's always super. Thank you. Oh, we'll go choirs on to the chorus now. Stan, that's five dollars you owe me. I told Stan earlier this morning I would get you to sing from Mary Poppins and the Sound of Music, and he said that would never happen. So here we are. Stan, thank you. Just remember, Scotsman, I'll see you in the morning. Five dollars. What is the point of all this silliness? The point is this. 1965 and 1966, those two movies were hits around the world and have been hits with subsequent generations. And around the same time, I think 66 into 67, Simon and Garfunkel released an album which became very popular. It was entitled Parsley, Sage, Rosemary and Thyme. And there was an album track on what was an LP back then... That was very strange. And subsequent generations who have heard it have asked the same question that was asked when it was first released. Because it begins like this. In Washington, the atmosphere was tense today as a special subcommittee of the House Committee of Un-American Activities continued its probe into anti-Vietnam War protests. In Los Angeles today, comedian Lenny Bruce died of what was believed to be an overdose of narcotics. Bruce was 42 years old. The recent fight in the House of Representatives was over the opening housing section of the Civil Rights Bill. The bill brought traditional enemies together but left the defenders of the measure without the votes of the strongest supporters. And in other breaking news, Dr. Martin Luther King says he does not intend to cancel plans for an open housing march Sunday in the Chicago suburb of Cicero. Cook County Sheriff Richard Oglesby asked King to call off the march. And finally, former Vice President Nixon says that unless there is a substantial increase in the present war effort in Vietnam, the U.S. should look forward to five more years of war. That's the 7 o'clock edition of the Evening News. Good night. Now why would musicians, songwriters as gifted as Simon and Garfunkel use three and a half minutes to broadcast the words from the Evening News? What were they saying? What were they telling us? What were they seeking to accomplish? After about 30 seconds of hearing the evening news, Simon and Garfunkel started to sing Silent Night. And the point they were trying to make was this, and they made it very effectively, was it is one thing to be brought up singing Silent Night, it is one thing to have it as a popular part of their Christmas festivities, but sleeping in heavenly peace unless it impacts and changes our world, becomes nothing more than a song that's popular. And they were challenging the listeners back then and still today to ask, is Christmas simply wish fulfillment? Is it a season of sentimentality where we can have warm, fuzzy feelings singing carols but they don't actually impact and make a difference in anyone's life? Is Christmas wish fulfillment? 
Now this morning as we come to Luke's Gospel, we will seek to answer and touch upon some of those questions. And this morning I intentionally wanted to begin with what is called in New Testament studies, Luke's Prologue. In other words, the first four verses. Four verses, 79 words in English. But in their original Greek, it is a single sentence. Can you imagine getting away with that in high school today? Your English teacher reading an essay and you have used 79 words in a single sentence. You would never get away with that. But Luke's prologue is a little different. It is, New Testament scholars tell us, probably the most carefully honed and structured sentence to be found anywhere in the New Testament. Classical Greek authors, historians, medical journalists would be delighted with Luke's elegant style. In writing his prologue, he lays out for for us the details of its origin, his purpose in writing it, He demonstrates a range of vocabulary, polished style, literary artistry that is most impressive. And if you were in first century, living in the first century, in the Roman Empire, you opened up Luke's Gospel and read it for the first time, your immediate impression would be, wow, this guy can write. Because it's compelling, it's intriguing, captures your imagination, it draws you in. Notice what he says. He says, many have undertaken to draw up an account of the things that have been fulfilled among us. In other words, what is happening here is not some new fad. It's not the latest, greatest idea, but it is the fulfillment of the purposes and plans of God down the centuries. That's the point he's making. And then he writes, just as they were handed down to us by those who from the first were eyewitnesses and servants of the word. Luke is saying this, what I'm about to tell you came from those who actually were there. And throughout his gospel, in fact, he tells us again and again that this took, this took place at this city at that time. In fact, if you have a second, flip over to chapter 3 and notice what he says. He writes, in the 15th year of the reign of Tiberius Caesar, when Pontius Pilate was governor of Judea, Herod, tetrarch of Galilee, his brother Philip, tetrarch of Ituria and Trachonitis, Licinius, tetrarch of Abilene, during the high priesthood of Annas and Caiaphas, the word of God came to John. Why does he put that in there? Because he wants his readers to be able to tie it down to real people in real places at real times. New Testament scholars also tell us that not only did Luke compose his gospel, he also wrote the book of Acts. And that makes Luke the largest single contributor to the New Testament. And in the latter half of the New Testament, we discover that Luke was a close friend of the Apostle Paul. In fact, he journeyed with Paul to many places. And in that final section of the book of Acts, you read, or more accurately, the latter half of Acts, 
Luke will write things like, we landed at Troas, we set out for Jerusalem, we headed towards Antioch. Why is he writing this? He's writing it for this reason. He's including himself. Those are called the we passages, W-E. In other words, Luke is saying, I was there. I visited with Paul. I heard him preach. I watched the impact of his his teaching. And likewise, in the gospel, he is saying, I have sat down with those who were eyewitnesses to the ministry of Jesus, to his miracles, to his resurrection. And in fact... New Testament scholars tell us or speculate more accurately that when the Apostle Paul was arrested for his faith towards the end of the book of Acts, he spent two years in the ancient Judean town or city as it was then of Caesarea. And Luke was with him, not arrested, but Luke visited him regularly, bringing food and change of clothing and books and writing material and anything that would help Paul be more comfortable. And Luke is telling us that during that two-year period, one of the things Luke did was he sat down with Mary and said, Now Mary, tell us, how did the birth of Jesus Christ come about? And as she began to explain all that happened, Luke was busy writing down. And that's why he says... I have carefully investigated everything from the beginning. I've interviewed those who were eyewitnesses. And that's why Luke's gospel, in what is called the infancy narrative, you don't find it in Matthew, Mark, and Luke. You have the birth of Christ from Mary's perspective and how it impacted her. And as we move from his prologue into verse 26, let me give you a heads up. Because verses 26 to 38 are difficult for us. And they're difficult not in the normal way we would associate with a passage from the gospel, but they're difficult for this reason. We know the people involved. We know where this happened. We know when it happened. And we know how it unfolds and we know how it ends. And so by studying the scriptures, we become familiar with the Christmas story. And that's a challenge for us at this time of year. Because we're tempted to think we've heard it all. We know it all already. There is nothing new to be gained from a passage like this. But in fact, that's our problem. And our problem is this. That to some extent we lose the astonishing, incredulous, utterly compelling nature of this narrative because we are, to some extent, overly familiar with it. And we're tempted to think it has nothing new to teach us. But I want to ask you this morning to put yourself in Mary's position. And begin to imagine how she would respond to all that's taking place. And Luke begins, in the sixth month, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a town in Galilee, to a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph. Now the early part of chapter 1, you have his prologue to begin. Then you have Elizabeth and Zechariah. And when Elizabeth is six months into her pregnancy, 
Gabriel visits Mary. And you go from the wonders of ancient Jerusalem and the temple and a priest and his wife, Elizabeth and Zechariah, to an unknown couple engaged to be married in the provincial village. It wasn't even a town. In a village in Galilee called Nazareth. Of no consequence to anyone except the purposes and eternal plans of God. And when we come across this passage, it should capture our imagination. We should find ourselves gasping for breath because for centuries upon centuries upon centuries, prophets have said, one day the Messiah would come and the virgin will be with child. And now it's coming to pass. And the temptation for us amidst all of the busyness and activity of this Christmas season is simply to take it for granted because we know it well already. And when Gabriel speaks to Mary, his words are so profound, so utterly transformative, that Mary, in fact... It's a little scared because of what's happened. Notice what it tells us. In the sixth month, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a town in Galilee, to a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David. The virgin's name was Mary, and the angel went to her and said, Greetings, you who are highly favored. The Lord is with you. Now hold that thought in your mind for a second. Let me paint... A second picture and then we'll go back. Let's imagine that as you head home from church later, you are driving home or you're sitting somewhere for lunch, you're catching up with family and friends and your phone goes and you kind of rummage in your pocket, pick out your phone, you look at it and it's a text. And it's someone you have always wanted to meet. Let's imagine it's a famous author, a John Grisham, someone like that, someone whose books you've read multiple times. Or imagine it's a sports personality, champion football winner, someone you have thought, gosh, I'd love to sit down with an hour and chat to them. Maybe a singer, actor, director. Someone famous is a household word across the nation. And you get a text from them saying, Monday I'm going to be in Greenville. I really would love to have lunch with you. Can you pick out a quiet restaurant? I look forward to seeing you then. Now if you're anything like me, you look at that text and you think, which of my friends are teasing me? Because I kind of operate on the basis that I will never ever meet anyone who operates kind of in that upper echelon of... Uh, society who's famous and engaging and someone everyone looks up to. And then your phone rings and it's an undisclosed number and so you say hi. They say hi, I texted you a moment ago, this is, I'm really serious about lunch tomorrow, I'd love to catch up, I was thinking of you only minutes ago, where would you like to go? Now I am pretty useless at keeping my own secrets. And keep everybody else's secrets forever and a day, but my own. I want to tell everyone if something good is happening to me. But I think on that occasion I'd keep it quiet till after we have the lunch. And then of course I'd make sure I get a selfie so I can show everyone and put it on Facebook and say, look, that's where I was for lunch today. 
But if you have that sense of, I I wasn't aware this person even knew I existed. Why did they want to sit down with me? What have I got to say? That will begin to give you just a hint at how Mary was feeling. Because please remember, all of her life up to this point, she had gone to the temple or the synagogue and heard of the love and grace of her heavenly Father. Perhaps she'd felt his tender touch on her life. Perhaps she'd felt his comforting presence. And now he was drawing her into a relationship with him at a whole new level. And please grasp the enormity of this. Let the wonder and the awesome dynamic of what is taking place, let it wash over you. As Mary has to come to terms with God in all of his majestic splendor and wonder has put his hand out and touched her life. And for Mary, that's a little unsettling. That's an unnerving experience. Notice how she responds. She doesn't feel special. She doesn't feel unique in any way. Notice how she responds. Gabriel says, Greetings, you who are highly favored. The Lord is with you. And Mary was greatly troubled at his words and wondered what kind of greeting this might be. There are a number of passages in Scripture where God begins to radically, in a dynamic manner, interact with individuals and it leaves them unnerved and unsettled because they realize the profundity of the moment. They don't treat it casually. They're not dealing with this in an offhand manner. They fully recognize that God is engaging them. And no wonder Mary was unsettled. And Gabriel thankfully goes on to reassure her and notice what he says. He says to her, do not be afraid, Mary. You have found favor with God. You will be with child and give birth to a son and you are to give him the name Jesus. And he will be great and be called the son of the most high. The Lord God will give him throne of his father David and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever and his kingdom will never end. As we go about our daily activities this week, picking up gifts for family members, those we love, decorating the tree, planning Christmas dinner, where will we spend it? Who will we spend it with? As you go through the day-to-day activities, looking forward with great anticipation, let me encourage you, please, not to take for granted exactly what it is we are celebrating. Because the birth of Christ at Christmas brings into being the culmination of the purposes and plans of God as God himself becomes incarnate in humanity, in the person of Jesus. Pause this week. Take time this week. Think again of silent night, holy night, 
For history was never the same after that moment that God himself comes down to earth that we might come to know him, have intimacy with him, and walk with him. And that's why Gabriel goes to great lengths to explain to Mary what is happening. The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you, and the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. Next time you're in a department store, and you hear a Christmas carol as opposed to a Christmas song, stop, pause, breathe for a moment. Understand the significance of what is taking place. Because we understand this, that which captures the wonder of our soul controls how we live. Let me say it again. That which captures the wonder of our souls controls how we live. And when you are overwhelmed with the love and grace of God this Christmas season, you are inevitably going to live for him day by day by day by day. And you never take it for granted again. Give up the familiarity Go deeper, mature in your faith, understand what's happening. Put yourself in Mary's place. Imagine what Mary would go through for the next nine months. I imagine when Gabriel is no longer there, goes back to heaven, she is thinking, did I imagine that? Did I fall asleep for five minutes and it was a dream of some kind? What happened? And over those next nine months, as the Christ child grew in her womb and she began to realize that she was at the very center of the purposes and plans of God for eternity. That would be quite the experience, wouldn't you think? So how do we then take all of this passage and begin to apply it to our own lives? How do we live it out during this third week of Advent. Well, allow me to suggest this. Take time out this week. It's ten minutes each day. Find a comfortable chair. Read through Luke's infancy, infancy narrative again. Let it wash over you. Immerse yourself in it. Stimulate again. Faith that is life-giving, life-affirming, Enjoy the wonder of the season. Secondly, resist the temptation to be caught up on everything else that's going on and spend time with him. And please don't give in to the possibility that this was only for the first century way back then that it was only for Mary in the provincial village of Nazareth and begin to think how does it impact my life my family how does it impact us today 
And let me remind you of how it impacts us by reading these words. Yesterday, Saturday, the 12th of December, the Centre for Disease Control reported its 16th millionth COVID-19 case. Yet another sign the virus is spreading rapidly, even as newly authorised vaccines are already being distributed. A Tennessee man has been arrested in the fatal shooting of a Nashville intensive care nurse. Devont Lewis Hill, 21, was charged with criminal homicide in Caitlin Kaufman's death. Shop- shoppers are forecast to spend more than $2 billion online this Christmas. The number of people visiting high street stores, shopping centres and retail parks are down significantly this year due to concerns over COVID-19. And finally, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you so the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. Let's pray together. Father, as we draw our service to a close this morning, we are powerfully reminded from this passage that the birth of Christ was not simply restricted to the first century, but is every bit as applicable to us in the 21st century. And as we seek to live out our faith this week, in this third week of Advent, enable us to come to a fresh understanding of your love and your grace for us. Capture our hearts and minds again. Allow the awesome wonder of this season to overwhelm us. That we, like Mary, should worship you and seek to follow you and enjoy the wonder of this season. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.